0: Our gracious and magnificent Heavenly Father, we come tonight to rest in our Lord Jesus. Father, everybody here and as well, and you obviously know, because I haven't stopped praying about it, that there are things on my mind that I need to rest in you for tonight. And I'm sure for all of us and anybody who's listening, there's always something that we need to lay before your throne. And you invite us to come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and to find our rest in you. So we come tonight, seeking you for our rest, seeking you for our confidence and reassurance, Lord. As we look into the word of God tonight, your word. Father, give us ears to hear what you would say to us, and may we rejoice as we study and learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, as we looked at chapter 16, David was anointed king. And as we got to the end, or the, well, really the second half of chapter 16, there was a, a distressing spirit from the Lord, troubled Saul, and they sought a man to basically bring Saul comfort, and they brought David. And David would play the harp for him, and there was great affection and great faithfulness, and David became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, "Please let David stand before me." That's re- that's going to be really important before we're done with chapter 17. And whenever this spirit came upon him, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart. Now, what's so interesting to me about that, and I know I brought this up last week, is that David knew. David knew he had been chosen by God, anointed by Samuel, to replace Saul as the king of Israel. Now when this distressing spirit was upon him, did David try to kill him? Did David try to take it? No, he didn't do anything. And as we continue through the book of 1 Samuel, we're going to see time and time again that even though David could have and would have even been justified in doing so, He wouldn't. He remained faithful to Saul, even as Saul tried to kill him. That's why the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. Not because he was perfect. When we get into 2 Samuel, we're going to see all the mistakes David makes, but because he would repent, he would return to following after the Lord his heart would be broken over his own sin. You can see that as you read through the Psalms. Go read Psalm 51. And and just when Nathan confronted him about his sin, he, he was heartbroken. That's what made him a man after God's own heart. Not his perfection, but his humility. So with that, let's see how David really got famous. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Succah, which belongs to Judah. They camped, encamped sorry, between Succah and Azekah in Ephes-Demim. Oh, there's an H there, Ephes-Demim, sorry. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with the valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Is he able to fight with me and kill me? Then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So the Valley of Elah, there's actually, uh, and this will become more interesting later, But there's a stream that flows through it, and it's usually only running during the rainy season. But because there's a stream, and it's not a big, it's not like a river, but this stream, because it runs through there, all the rocks in that stream bed are very smooth. Um, You know why that's going to be important in a little bit. And they line up for battle. Now, here was the big problem. Because when you read the first 11 verses, you get the idea that they weren't fighting. Now, as we move forward, we're going to see in a little bit, uh, in a, a few verses down the road, as it were, uh, that they were actually engaging in battle. But this was the problem. They were both on hilltops, and the valley was between them. Now, in the type of warfare they conducted, it was much easier um, if you had the high ground, right? Anakin Skywalker learned that the hard way. I know the only people that are going to get that is my wife and daughter, and maybe somebody listening online but but the but the advantage was always to have the high ground especially rushing into battle because you would be rushing downhill and you would have a great disadvantage if you tried to run uphill to face your enemies remember a couple of weeks ago when we saw jonathan and his armor bearer going against the philistines they were at a serious disadvantage but they knew god was with them so what was most likely happening is that they would come down to battle in the middle and neither one could push the other one back and then they would retreat and so before that would happen in the morning Goliath would come out and make his challenge then they would fight and then probably in the evening after everybody retreated he would come out and make his challenge again so we have to get this the picture we usually get is that you got these people over here and these people over here and nobody's doing anything and Goliath's just coming out and taunting them there was probably warfare taking place <coughs> sorry so they lined up for battle Goliath comes out and he challenges the people of Israel to send one man out to combat winner take all but we got to talk about this Goliath fella now there is some argument because of the length of a cubit. So depending on uh, what translation of the Bible or if you have notes or, or footnotes or whatever it might be. Um, but scholars will genuine or generally agree he was somewhere between 9 and, a half and 11 feet tall. Give or take, right? Uh, the span was about 8, 10 inches, the distance between your thumb and the tip of your pinky. Right, so if you have a big hand, like my my span is, is um, about nine inches, I think. I don't remember. It's been a long time. And a cubit was roughly eighteen inches. And so if you put that together, um, depending on your reckoning of these things, somewhere between nine and a half and eleven feet tall. Right, we can stick with the nine and a half number. That's tall enough. Um, he was certainly a, a large fellow. And you know, we got to get, because the picture I always get when I think of somebody who's seven and a half or eight feet tall is uh, what was the, 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 the um, there's been several basketball players Yao who Ming. were like that. Yao Ming, right? Yao Ming, seven foot ten, if I remember correctly, right? But he was lanky and he was skinny. So instead, picture Shaq, two yeah. and a half feet taller than Shaq already is. But that size, right? Big dude. Now, his armor weighed somewhere around 126 pounds. I mean, his armor weighed, you know, as well, as much as a a full-grown human person. Well, some full-grown human persons. About half of me, but still some full-grown human persons. That's heavy. And I can only imagine that would be very impractical to wear into battle, but I am sure it was impressive. He had a spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. And it was on top of a weaver's beam, which would have been upwards of three inches thick and 10 feet long. Now, a weaver's beam was what would sit at the top of the the, the loom, right? And that's where like the spool would sit so that you could bring the thing down and weave your rug or, or whatever it was that you were making. But back in that day, you know, three inches thick, 10 feet long. So then when you add the spearhead, and because the spearhead was so heavy, there would have to be a counterweight on the back side of it, or it would just constantly be tilting forward. It wouldn't be balanced. The overall length Of this spear would have been 12 feet, give or take, and probably weighed 25 pounds. That's a big spear. I've done, as many of you know, Spartan races. One of the things they do in the Spartan race is the spear throw. And that spear is about an inch thick and about six feet long. And it's still really hard to throw. How Strong would you have to be to do anything with this? I mean, and, and maybe it was just for show, but I have to assume if he's carrying this out to battle that it was meant to be used. We're not done. His sword weighed 15 pounds. A typical broadsword weighs about four and a half pounds. So, three times as heavy. As a typical broadsword, which could only make me believe or think that it must have been much bigger than a typical broadsword. So when David picks it up a little bit later on, that's pretty impressive on David's part, because um, most scholars agree that he was a, a fairly short guy, right? He, he he wasn't six foot or six two, um, probably based on the average height of people around that time, probably about five, six, maybe. So. You've got to put that in perspective. Goliath, twice as tall, right? Goliath's spear, more than twice as tall. Goliath's sword. Now, if you had a typical broadsword that weighed about four and a half pounds, that would be a 48-inch sword. That is, that's, what, um, that's about how long they were. And that's, that's hilt to the tip of the blade. So in order for this to weigh 15 pounds, it would have to be broader, thicker, and longer. This was a beast of a sword, And he walks down with all of this on, and he says, all right, who wants to fight? Anybody? Anybody want to come out? And he defies the armies of God. Oh, bad idea. Always a bad idea. This is this was blasphemous, this was disrespectful, and it was meant to scare Israel, and it worked. We're going to find out a little later on. Whenever he came out to make the challenge, they all hid, and nobody would go out. So, verse twelve. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem of Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shema. And we met all these guys in the last uh, chapter when God rejected them from being king. David was the youngest. And the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And really, he was where Saul's general camp was, uh, or where his home base was. It was only about nine miles from Bethlehem. It really wasn't that far. So it it wouldn't have been a big deal for David to go home and help his dad. Um, And the Philistines... Sorry. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. See, there was battle going on. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. Did you guys ever see Braveheart? Remember that movie, Braveheart, where they, 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 would, they were drawn up in battle array, and then all the Scottish, they would start screaming across, and then all the English would yell back. I'm not exactly sure what that was meant to accomplish, but that's how they did it, even up into the medieval times. Uh, For Israel, verse 21, and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words, So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the picture we get here, besides David, um, was they were in battle. And in the midst of this battle, Goliath comes strolling down the hill to issue his challenge. And all the Israelites run back up the hill and hide. That's kind of the picture that we're seeing here. So Jesse's old. His three oldest sons follow Saul and David was going home uh, as he would at times to go home and help with the sheep. And so Jesse gives him all these supplies, 10 loaves of bread, 10 uh, probably wheels of cheese, some dried grain, says, hey, go check on your brothers. Let us know and then come back and let me know how things are going. So he gets there. He drops the supplies off with the supply keeper and he's going and looking for his brothers. And In the midst of all of that, right, the armies are shouting back and forth, all this is going on. David's trying to find his brothers, and Goliath walks out and issues his challenge. And when that happens, David heard these words, and all the men of Israel fled. Interesting. Verse 25. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. And David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him, as the first ones did so it looks like David actually asked like three different times to really kind of confirm what's going to happen you're going to be rich you're going to get a wife and your family don't have to pay taxes anymore and so as he asks around to confirm this his older brother or his oldest brother really Eliab hears this and he rebukes him He accuses him of leaving the sheep behind, right? He he doesn't know that Jesse sent him or why Jesse sent him. So he accuses him of leaving the sheep behind. He calls him proud or insolent. Now, I love this word insolent. The word means naughty. I just, I don't know why I got a kick out of that. You're prideful and naughty. Why, Why are you here? And David responds like I think most little brothers would. What did I do now? Right, don't I have a good reason to be here? Right? Dad sent me. Don't I have a good reason to ask these questions? This guy's taunting Israel. The guys are talking about what'll happen to the person who kills him, right? Like, what's wrong with you? I didn't do anything. And I I just appreciate that the the whole sibling rivalry and, and the dynamic between older and younger siblings has existed for a very long time. Um but he loves that and you know perhaps David was a rash young man I'm guessing with seven older brothers he was probably quite often trying to prove himself you know I I mean I'm the youngest of four and I remember as a kid especially when my older brother lived at home with us you know I was always trying to do something to get noticed um I haven't really outgrown that but uh (laughs) You know, But I was the youngest, and I just felt I had to do that. Um, I can only imagine having seven older brothers. Now, I do want you to notice something that he left off. Because he said, you know, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? And he didn't look at his oldest brother and say, didn't God reject you and Samuel anoint me king over Israel? <laughs> Eliab knew that. David knew that. But David didn't say it. As we talk about his humility and him being a man after God's own heart. I think that's important because, frankly, if it was me, that's what I would have started with. I'm I'm probably a very different person than David. But if my older brother was like, how dare you? Why are you here? I'm the next king of Israel. Why don't you shut up? I think that would have been my response, but not David. Verse 31. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it, and I struck it, and I delivered the lamb from its mouth, and when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, "The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine." And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. That must have been, that's just quite a rousing speech on David's part. I mean, we read the words here, but I imagine David was probably quite uh, passionate as he said this. So Saul finds out that David's been asking all these questions. He brings him in, and the first thing he tells him is he's too young. Right? This guy's been, he's been a warrior forever, and you're too young. Doesn't talk about the height difference. Or the weight difference or, or any of that, just that David was too young and I do find that interesting up in um, well gosh, it's either first or second Timothy. I can't remember which one, uh, but Paul said to Timothy, Let no one despise you for your youth and, and I think we do kind of get this idea, oh you're just a kid. I remember when I was a, you know significantly younger than I am now that I used to get that a lot. You know, especially from my family. Oh, you'll learn, you know, you'll learn when you grow up. And sometimes they were right. Um, But a lot of times I would just get dismissed. I remember when I was first in Bible college, uh, and we were actually at uh, my wife's parents' house, at my in-laws' house, and they were talking about something, and I chimed in, and uh, uh, they actually rolled their eyes at me and dismissed me, even though I was right. Why? Because I was young. What did I know? So that's what he said. And I love David's answer. You know what? Nobody's got to worry. I've got this. I've killed bears. I've killed lions. And he gives glory to God, right? The same God who delivered me from the paw of the bear. The same God who delivered me from the paw of the lion. He will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And so he gives glory to God. And points out that this uncircumcised Philistine, who was defying God, that God would deliver him over. And so, like I said, I really think David's speech must have been uh, something very passionate. Because after he says all this, Saul's like, yeah, go for it. The Lord be with you. Now, what was the issue here? The difference between David and the rest of the army of Israel and Saul himself. Well, it's the difference between fear and faith. Um, It's the difference of perspective of who you're looking at or what you're looking at. Because if you're looking at the giant in front of you and you're not looking at the God who has hedged you in before and behind and the God who goes before you and the God who has promised to fight your battles for you and the fact that we have the one true God who is limitless. He literally has no limits. But it depends. Saul and the rest of the army, they were looking at the 9, 10, 11 foot tall guy who was walking around with 160, 170 pounds of armor and weaponry and defying the God's vision. Like, yep, I I don't want to have nothing to do with that. And David comes out and he goes, nah, God can take care of him. That won't be a problem it's just like Jonathan right what what difference does it make for God to deliver with many or God to deliver with few it makes no difference to him he's God right David had that same perspective and when we put our fears in perspective they turn to faith because as Romans 8 Uh, I think it's 31 tells us, when God is for us, who can be against us? And I love that question because the answer is no one. Verse 38. So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail and David fastened his sword uh, to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk in these For I have not tested them, so David took them off. Now, they use the word tested here, um, which basically means that that David couldn't get used to it. But you do have to remember, Saul was probably a good foot taller than David, give or take. So this wouldn't have fit, on top of the fact that he was not used to wearing armor, so it would have been very awkward for him. But what that means, you've got to think about the confidence that David has means he's going to go out to battle against his Philistine with no armor and no sword. Right? All he takes is his sling and five stones, which we're going to read about in verse 40. Why? Because his confidence wasn't in himself. His confidence was in what God could do. Verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the philistine. Now, real quick, the sling that he used is different than the slingshot that we think of. right The slingshot that we think of is, a, you know it's got a stick with a Y at the top, some sort of elastic thing that you can put something in and pull it back. This would have been different. This would have had two long leather straps with a pouch in the middle and you would wrap the strap one of the straps around your hand and then you would hold the other strap with the stone so there was about equal length then you'd swing it around and when you were ready you would let go of the one strap and the other strap was wrapped around your hand so you wouldn't let go of the whole thing and the stone would fling Uh, we have a testimony uh, back in the book of judges that there were 200 left-handed benjamites who were so accurate with a sling that they could hit their mark at a hair's breadth. And I can't remember the distance, but it was uh, so many, it was a ways, right? They weren't close. Um, So you could become very accurate. And then on top of that, David was probably really good at this because one of the things shepherds would do is they would use that sling and stone to correct their sheep. You have a sheep wandering up a hill, you know, whack, and the sheep gets hit by the rock. Oh, I guess I better go back, you know. Um, But he would have been very, very accurate. He practiced. I love this. Um, I guess I'll I'll make this comment, too, before we move forward. Why five stones? Did he think he was going to miss? I don't think so. This is just conjecture on my part. The Bible doesn't say this. Um, But Goliath had a dad who was a giant. And if you go up to 1 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 5, Goliath had three brothers. So you got dad, Goliath, and his three brothers. That's five giants. David's like, Yep, yeah, if I'm going to take out one, I better be prepared to take out all of them. Because I imagine they would have been there. We don't have, like I said, conjecture. We don't know that they were there. It's just conjecture on my part. But I do think it's interesting that he picked up five stones, and in relation to Goliath, there were five giants. Where were we at? Oh, verse 42, sorry. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. It's the second time the Bible said, told us that David was a good-looking guy. I wonder if David was talking to Samuel when he was writing this down. Hey, Samuel, don't forget to include what a good-looking guy I am. I doubt that. I'm just... So the Philistine said to David, "Am I a dog, that you come at me with sticks?" And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, "Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field." So I I love, you know, I love the Veggie Tales. You got little junior asparagus going up against the giant pickle. Um, But you got a picture. Goliath was really insulted. I think. You know, why didn't you pick somebody taller? Why didn't you pick somebody older? Why didn't you pick somebody, you know, that more muscle or, or, or a warrior? At least, At least have the decency to come out and fight me with armor and a sword. All you got is this little shepherd boy in his, you know, probably a tunic or maybe a robe that he had girded up. He's running down the hill towards Goliath. And all he has in his hand is a sling. And and that's why he disdained him. And and that's why he says, am I a dog? And that's why he cursed David by his gods. And then he finishes up in verse 44 and says, you know what? I'm going to kill you and the birds are going to eat your flesh. And then David responded. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. A bold statement for a guy who doesn't have a sword. And take your head from you, and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose, so apparently he was sitting down. And he came and drew near to David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Oh, David, I love this. This beautiful exchange, and David's answer is so brilliant. Fine. Yeah, I see you got a big sword. I see you got a long spear. Do you think I care? Do you want to know what? You said you're going to give my flesh. I'm going to kill your entire army. You curse me by your gods. Everyone here is going to know that the God of Israel is the one who won this battle. Everyone here is going to know that he is the one who gave you into our hands every single one of you is about to die that's a bold statement from a kid who's five foot six and all he's got is a sling and five smooth stones and you have to I picture the contempt because it said the Philistine arose so I'm thinking he's just sitting on the hillside and David comes down and he's like really this I'm not even going to stand up for this But when he does, David runs. He runs into battle. Because the battle belongs to God. I already mentioned it earlier, but Romans 8, 31 and 32. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It is one of my favorite scriptures because I think one of the issues that many Christians have today is that we don't really realize that God is for us. Or we have times where we've done something dumb. Uh, This Sunday in Hebrews, we're going to talk about the discipline of the Lord. That should be fun. Um, But there's a huge difference between discipline and punishment, right? God doesn't punish us. Jesus took our punishment. He disciplines us because he loves us. And that's different. But even when he disciplines us, it's because he's for us. It's because he wants what is best for us. It's because he wants us to be okay. And he knows if he leaves us to our own devices, well, we won't be. And so God is never against us. And God is always for us. Which means no one is ever going to be able to stand against us. Right? He loves us. He lifts us when we fall. And in every battle we face in life, God is for us. His power and his love have no limit. Just none. I remember a time... I've already decided we're not going to get to chapter 18. Um, I remember a time when I was, as a as a believer, just low. I've experienced that more than once. And, um, man, I would read the Bible, and it felt stale, and I would try to pray, but I became very much like the, the people Jesus warned us not to be. Uh, you know, with the, thinking your vain repetition, you'll be heard. I, I would actually, at one point in time, during this period, I looked through my journal because uh, I always I typically pray uh, by writing things out in a journal. And I had basically prayed the same thing every day for several weeks. And I just remember I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't hear the voice of God. Even when I opened the word or I tried to pray, I just felt like I couldn't hear the voice of God. And he broke through that. And he said, I just want you to know I'm with you and I'm for you. And then he gave me several scriptures like Isaiah 41:10 to back that up. Not that he needs to be backed up, but it's always good to get confirmation from the word. And I just remember that. I'm with you and I'm for you. And that began the process of me coming out of that. The battle belongs to God. Right? He does not deliver with sword and spear. He does not need natural means. And when we try to fight our battles in the flesh, we are at such a great disadvantage. When we let God fight our battles for us in his supernatural power, we can't lose. 2 Corinthians Corinthians 10, 3-6 For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And we make this mistake, at least I do. I make this mistake that I think I have to battle it in my flesh or I have to battle it in my power or I have to battle it according to my own will or my own self-control or whatever you want to put in there. And God says over and over and over and over again, don't do that it's not going to work let me do it for you there's a great verse that will come across uh, up in as it second chronicles I don't remember um, but basically he looks at the king and he says, "Stand still you won't have to fight you're going to see my deliverance today He just says, you just sit there and watch what I can do. Oh, I love that. Verse 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, and David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. I already read that. Verse 49. Then David put his hand in his bag, and he took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. David made the Philistine a promise, didn't he? He said, I'm going to cut your head off. So he ran, he stood over the Philistine, he took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. So, you know, really people of their word, right? If you kill our champion, we'll be your servants. Oh no, you killed our champion, we're getting out of here. Um, i love this runs into battle hits him so hard with the rock that it knocks him out cold sinks into his forehead and it says that he killed him twice but he actually killed him when he cut off his head basically he knocked him silly probably caused some severe brain damage i imagine if he hadn't cut off his head but david said you know what i'm going to cut off your head and david's a man of his word so he runs out he pulls out this 15 pound sword that was probably six feet long and he lops his head off that i just put this in my note because i didn't know what else to say about it this is god empowered beast mode that's what it is it's like fine i ain't got a sword i'm going to steal your sword and cut your head off with it ah verse 51 now the men of israel and judah arose and they shouted well, of course, right now they've got some confidence. And they pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley uh, into the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sha'arim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. I dig that. And David, this, this just boggles my mind a little bit, but David took the head of the Philistine, and he brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. Um, ew. I mean, I'm ew. But the dude was walking around, probably for at least a couple days, because he had to walk to Jerusalem from where they were at, just with Goliath's head in his hand. Then he took all of his armor, which at that time would have been worth a fortune, And we know later on that he kept his sword as well. Interesting. Verse 55. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now this, I really find interesting, right? So Israel routes the Philistines. They plunder the Philistines. David plunders Goliath, keeps his head, keeps his sword, keeps his armor. And yeah, he he had to carry the head around. When they call him up to see Saul, he's walking up there with this dude's head in his hand. Right? You want to know who I am? Right there. Next king of Israel. Any questions? And now, of course David didn't say that. But I'm sure that would have been quite an ominous sight. Now this is what I find absolutely fascinating. Saul knew who David was. Saul knew who David was. In the last chapter, Saul sent messengers to Jesse asking those messengers if David could stay with him so David went into his tent this is the guy who had been playing the harp for him and we don't, we don't know the time period it could have been months, it could have been a couple of years, we don't know this is the guy that had been playing his heart for him, this guy has been in Saul's bedroom calming him down helping him out he came in and talked to Saul Saying, "Don't worry, I'm going to go take care of the Philistine." And Saul said, "All right, go." He knew who David was. He knew who David's father was. I don't know what happened. Now, maybe he just forgot. You know, from you know the the, the half an hour before when David was in his tent, um, or maybe this is something related to the madness that Saul was descending into. Because as we continue in the book of 1 Samuel, we're going to see that Saul just gets worse and worse. Dude goes crazy. And so maybe that's part of what was going on. I don't know. What I do know is that David struck an amazing victory for Israel, and he did so giving all the glory to God. And I think that's so important for us because God is doing great things in our church. God is doing great things in our lives, right? We're seeing him answer prayer. We're seeing him show up and provide and and just do these incredible things. And the greatest fear I have, and I'll share this all with you, is it I'll be like Nebuchadnezzar. Is that one day, I'll look at everything and go, ah, oh, look what I did. Right? If I ever do that, please slap me hard. Because it's not me. And it's not you. It's always going to be him. And David knew that. Right? Even when he makes all of his mistakes, even when he sins, even when he murders, it, David still, knew always that it was God that it wasn't him and I appreciate that because that's a lesson we need to hold on to let's pray oh Lord thank you for the beautiful lessons you teach us in your word Father help us to always remember that the battle is yours not only is the battle yours the victory is already won and all we got to do is have faith in you instead of fear the situation. And Lord, we don't even have to work at that. Your spirit fills us with faith. And just let you do what you do and get out of the way. I pray, God, that we would always give you glory. Pray that you'd be with us the rest of this week. Lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name.